0: Before COVID-19 and social distancing, we were already a lonely people. Kirby Anderson explains why, now on Probe. America was already facing a crisis of loneliness, and then the coronavirus pandemic hit. People sheltering at home had even less human contact. That made the crisis of loneliness even worse. The best thing people could do was to protect themselves from the virus was to isolate themselves. But that was not the best thing they could do for their physical or mental health. A study by Julianne holt Lundstead found that loneliness can be as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Another study by the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine found that the social isolation in older adults increased their risk of heart disease, stroke, dementia, high cholesterol, diabetes, and poor health in general. More than a quarter century ago, I wrote a book called Signs of Warning, Signs of Hope, making a number of predictions for the future. Chapter eight set forth the case for a coming crisis of loneliness. Years earlier, Philip Slater wrote about the pursuit of loneliness. The US Census Bureau documented an increasing number of adults living alone. Dan Keeley talked about living together loneliness in one of his books. Roberta Hestonese coined the term crowded loneliness and so the trend was there for anyone to see if they began reading some of the sociological literature. In the last few years, many authors have written about the crisis of loneliness. Robert Putnam wrote about it in his famous book, Bowling Alone. He argues that people need to be connected in order for our society to function effectively. Putnam concludes, social capital makes us smarter, healthier, safer, richer, and better able to govern a just and stable democracy. Senator Ben Sass in his book, Them, Why They each other and how to heal laments that our traditional tribes and social connectedness are in collapse you know the bible addresses this crisis of loneliness after god created the world the first thing he said that was not good was that adam was alone it is not good that man should be alone i will make a helper fit for him david called out to the lord because he was lonely and afflicted Jeremiah lamented that he sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. And Jesus experienced loneliness on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the local church should provide opportunities for outreach and fellowship in their communities. Individual Christians must reach out to lonely people and become their friends. We must help a lost, lonely world realize that their best friend of all is Jesus Christ. So this week we'll look at various types of loneliness with suggestions on what Christians can do. You've been listening to Probe with your host Kirby Anderson. Get your free copy of Kirby's transcript, Loneliness, at probe.org. And oh, why not read it with someone? And then join us next time, here on Probe. Why are we so alone? The reasons are simple, demographics and social isolation. More people are living alone than in previous generations and those living with other people will still feel the nagging pains of loneliness. In previous centuries, where extended families dominated the social landscape, a sizable proportion of adults living alone was unthinkable. And even in the 20th century, adults living alone was usually found either at the beginning of life, singles, or at the end, widows of adult life. But these periods of living alone are now longer due to lifestyle choices on the front end and advances in modern medicine on the back end. Yet the increase in the number of adults living alone originates from more than just changes in the beginning and end of adult life. Increasing numbers are living most of their adult lives alone. In the 1950s, about one in every ten households had one person in them. They were primarily widows. But today, due to the three Ds of social statistics – death, divorce, and deferred marriage – more than a third of all households is a single-person household. In the past, gender differences have been Been significant in determining the number of adults living alone. For example, young single households were more likely to be men since women marry younger. On the other hand, older single households are more likely to be women because women live longer than men. While these trends still hold true, the gender distinctions are blurring as both sexes are likely to reject traditional attitudes towards marriage. Tomorrow we'll look at these marriage trends in more detail, but let's at least mention the three major reasons why these changing attitudes attitudes towards marriage have left so many Americans alone. The divide occurred between the builder generation, those born before the end of World War II, and the boomer generation, born between 1946 and 1964. Their attitudes changed in three ways. They were marrying less, marrying later, and staying married for a shorter period of time. Builder parents set a record for the number of marriages in 1946 and also a record for the number of births exceeding 3 million for the first time. When the boomers were of marriageable age, they got married less, waited longer to get married and that pattern started with them and has increased with every generation following. The church should provide community for the millions who are isolated. This is especially true since the problem of social isolation has intensified because of the government orders requiring most Americans to stay at home. This week we're looking at the issue of loneliness, and today I would like to talk about how changing marriage patterns have contributed to the loneliness we find in America. The post-war baby boom created a generation that did not make the trip to the altar in the same percentage as their parents. In 1946, the parents of the baby boom set an all-time record in the number of marriages. This record was not broken until the late 1960s and early 1970s when millions of boomers entered the marriage-prone years. Finally, in 1979, the record that lasted for 33 years was finally broken when the children of the baby boom set a new record of marriages. All of that to say that singleness has become a lifestyle for the post-war generations. Before marriage was seen as a necessity, now it is seen as one more lifestyle option. These post-war generations are not only marrying less, they're also marrying later. The median age for first marriage for women in 1960 was 20, and for men it was 22. Today, the median age for women is 27, and for men it's 29. There is every reason to believe that the median age for first marriage will increase over the next few years. Another reason for a crisis of loneliness is marital stability. Not only are these generations marrying less and marrying later, they also stay married less than their parents. This trend has continued into the 21st century. This crisis of loneliness will affect more than just the increasing number of people living alone. While the increase in adults living alone is staggering and unprecedented, these numbers are fractional compared with the number in relationships that leave them feeling very much alone. Commitment is a foreign concept to many of the millions of cohabiting couples. These fluid and highly mobile situations form more often out of convenience and demonstrate little of the commitment necessary to make a relationship work. These relationships are transitory and and form and dissolve with alarming frequency. Anyone looking for intimacy and commitment will not find them in these relationships. Commitment is also a problem in marriage. Spawned in the streams of sexual freedom and multiple lifestyle options, the current generations appear less committed to making marriage work than previous generations. Marriages, which are supposed to be the source of stability and intimacy, often produce uncertainty and isolation. The church and Christian leaders need to address the importance of marriage from the biblical perspective and challenge couples to commit to each other for biblical reasons and for the sake of their children. This week we're looking at the issue of loneliness and today I would like to talk about how many Americans feel alone even when they're in a relationship. Psychologist Dan Keeley coined the term living together loneliness or LTL to describe this phenomenon. He estimated that there was 10 to 20 million people, primarily women, suffer from living together loneliness. LTL is an affliction of the individual, not the relationship, though that may be troubled too. Instead, he believes that this has more to do with two issues. The Changing Roles of Men and Women and the Crisis of Expectations. In the last few decades, especially following the rise of the modern feminist movement, expectations that men have of women and that women have of men have changed significantly, while these expectations do not match reality, disappointment, and eventually loneliness sets in. Dan Keeley first noted this phenomenon among his female patients. He began to realize that loneliness comes in two varieties. The first is the loneliness felt by a single shy person who has no friends. The second is more elusive because it involves a person in a relationship who nevertheless feels isolated and very much alone. He found that women were especially feeling lonely even while in a relationship. Now, to determine if a woman is a victim of LTL, he actually employed a variation of an uncoupled loneliness scale devised by researchers at the University of California at Los Angeles. For example, an LTL woman would agree with the following propositions. Number one, I can't turn to him when I feel bad. Number two, I feel left out of his life. Number three, I feel isolated from him even when he's in the same room. Number four, I'm unhappy being shut off from him. And five, no one really knows me well. Women may soon find that loneliness has become a part of their lives whether they are living alone or in a relationship because loneliness is more a state of mind than it is a social situation. People who find themselves trapped in a relationship may be lonelier than a person living alone. The fundamental issue is whether they reach out and develop strong relationship bonds. Sometimes this loneliness comes from being in an apartment or a suburban tract that essentially is surrounded by strangers. We'll discuss this phenomenon of crowded loneliness tomorrow, but if a mother is sick and needs help with the children, there was no one there to help her. This can be a way in which the church can reach out to needy people in their community because people feel lonely and isolated and need community that the church can provide. Loneliness, it turns out, is not just a problem of the individual. Loneliness is endemic to our modern urban society. In rural communities, although the farmhouses are far apart, community is usually very strong. Yet in our urban and suburban communities today, people are physically very close to each other, but emotionally very distant from each other. Close proximity doesn't translate into close community. Dr. Roberta Heston at Eastern College has referred to this as crowded loneliness. She observed that we are seeing the breakdown of natural community network groups in neighborhoods like relatives. You know, the mobility of Americans has also caused loneliness. In his book, A Nation of Strangers, Vance Packard argued that the mobility of American society contributed to social isolation and loneliness. And he describes five forms of uprooting that have created greater distances between people. First is the uprooting of people who move again and again. An old Carol King song asked the question, doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? At the time when Packard wrote the book, he estimated that the average American would move 14 times in his lifetime. By contrast, he estimated that the average Japanese would maybe move five times. The second is the uprooting that occurs when communities undergo upheaval. The accelerated population growth among urban renewal and flight to the suburbs has been disruptive to previously stable communities. Third, there is the uprooting from housing changes within communities. The proliferation of multiple dwelling units in urban areas crowd people together who frequently live side by side in anonymity. Fourth is the increasing isolation due to work schedules. When continuous operation plants and offices dominate an area's economy, neighbors remain strangers. And fifth, there's the accelerating fragmentation of the family. The steady rise in the number of broken families and the segmentation of the older population from the younger heightens social isolation. In a very real sense, the crisis of relationships precipitates a crisis in loneliness. Taken together, these various aspects of loneliness paint a chilling picture of loneliness in the 21st century, but they also present a strategic opportunity for the church. Loneliness will be on the increase in this century due to technology and social isolation. Christians have an opportunity to minister to people cut off from normal, healthy relationships, and for people looking for a friend, Jesus Christ can be the best friend while pointing them to other friendships within the church.